Hello, friends. Kirk Henderson and Josh Bow joining you for an episode of Mavs Moneyball After Dark. We are recording a little after nine o'clock on Sunday, June 12th. I don't know when I'm going to actually post this, though. Maybe to <laughs> maybe, maybe uh, Monday afternoon because I just recorded a, a short Moneyball minute and I don't. Uh, it seems like I went like four days without recording anything and now I'm like, I want to record all the things. But Josh, how you doing? I'm doing okay. We're both, I mean, you're a little bit, I think you're a little bit better off today, but I'm sure everyone, anyone in the area, from the Dallas area listening, we're all pretty much melting right now. But mm-hmm. so, what better way to uh, ignore the sweat dripping down my forehead than let's talk? Yeah, yeah. Why not? So we had some really nice feedback to our kind of season and review podcast, and this uh, we're going to do something similar for the playoffs because it's now been you know even another week away from it. We've had time to settle, and you know Josh and I are not draft guys. We will never claim to be draft guys. And I think after, you know, the fact that we are going to be hurt about um, what's his name in uh, over in Memphis until the end of time, uh, we, we I think both of us are just like never going to invest in, in draft stuff again. <laughs> and so it's like, like, you know, even though everybody's sort of clamoring for more of that, we thought we'd look back a little more. And I think I'm going to do that a few more times before I really cast ahead. Um, we had, you know, we had a nice show uh, during the week with uh, Scott CBA Mavs who did, you know, he's so, he's so funny. Cause I can tell he's like, I just don't know if I explain this stuff well enough. I'm like, man, this is like explaining taxes to someone who has never filed taxes before. It's hard. And, and it's, it's really, it's hard to make interesting and straightforward without being, um, what's the word, like without inadvertently talking down to people. And I thought Scott did a really good job, both in his post and on the podcast of, of breaking down complex stuff and saying, Hey, this is, this is what we have. What did you think? Oh, I mean, yeah, it's great. I mean, when you're trying to break that stuff down, it almost sounds like you're speaking another language and I just... It goes to show, you know, to try to be an educated NBA fan, it's so difficult with the CB. Like, I, I don't, you know, I don't follow as other sports as closely as I as I used to, but the NBA has to be the most complex CBA uh, out there. It's just, it's pretty, it's pretty bananas. So I think Scott does a great job. I think when he's on the podcast, he does great. I think his, his, his pieces that he does are really great. And I think it's, it's really nice because I think it's a nice, you know, I'm not, we're not trying to like crush hopes and dreams. We're just trying to be realistic <laughs> with what the, you know, these are the rules. And and I know some rules are meant to be broken, but sometimes you just, there's nothing you can do about this stuff. So it's just nice to have out there. And what's really fun. Uh, and I know that Scott's stuff, whether it's his podcast or his, his articles, I know they're making an impact is when I start seeing like all the crazy fake trades on Twitter like reflect the stuff that Scott has talked about. And that's, what yes. you know, like, you know, like, uh, you know, for our former staffer, Lauren, uh, who loves, you know, diving into the off season, she's been p- producing a lot of fake trades and all of them, you know, she's like working within the rules that Scott made. And yeah, maybe they are pretty crazy, but they're still like, Hey, the, you know, people are, are, are noticing what Scott's doing or they're, they're using him to jump off and, and explore the CBA themselves. So like, that's cool. Like it's, it's not just, you know, the crazy stuff that we see flung out there every year. Like the, I can, I can actually see like a tangible impact of people trying to fit stuff in within the CBA rules now. 
Yeah, which is nice because it's going to be hard for the Mavericks. But, well, we'll talk about that stuff a little more. But right now what I wanted to do was just sort of throw back a little bit to to the playoffs and kind of go beat by beat, bigger picture of what we were thinking during elements of this because it's crazy. When you look at, you know, the, the playoffs started Saturday, April 16th. We didn't know how long Luca was going to be out. It was really sort of a depressing point. And then we basically talked about basketball every day to every other day from Saturday, April 16th, straight through to Thursday, May 26th, which was almost six full weeks. Um, I guess I didn't realize it was quite that long. Uh, And the Mavericks played 18 games and they were 18, correct? Yeah. They got six, seven, and five. Um, and they were hilarious nine and nine <laughs> in those games. <laughs> um, so it's like we start off like like I, I can't even I can't believe this is this long ago. It's almost two full months at this point when when the Mavericks started off with the Jazz. And you know, that that opening game was something because it was without Luca, and there was a lot of missed free throws, and there was a lot of just missed opportunities. I feel like I remembered in that game, I'm looking at the box score now. Mavericks lost 99 to 93 and Spencer Dinwiddie finished with this really nice looking stat line. And I think, and I remember being angry and thinking that he played a terrible game. Do you remember any of this? Yeah, I do. (laughs) It was, it was a pretty terrible game. Uh, I don't think anyone shot well particular, but yeah, I think it was really disappointing to see Dinwiddie have the game that he had, what he had, he had 22 points because he got to the free throw line 16 times, which was pretty remarkable, but he was six of 15 from the floor. Um, so, you know, he didn't shoot well. He was over four from three. Uh, I think what was really disappointing about that game and, and looking at it now, it's not like the worst game he even, he had in the playoffs. He would actually, you know, stoop to some low levels, uh, especially during the sun series. But I think what was so disappointing was, you know, what he did in the regular season when Luca wasn't playing, you know, I think he had like a 36 point game against the Kings, you know, like another high 20 or 30 point game. Like, I think Luke only missed like two or three games after the Dinwiddie trade, but after each one Dinwiddie started, he had monster games. So there was a lot of expectation that, hey, even though Luke is out, you know, Dinwiddie's going to step right in and it's going to look different, but he's going to, he's going to ball out and it's going to, you know, the Mavs are going to be fine. And so to see that game right off the bat, uh, both him and Brunson kind of had egg on their face after that first game. It was, it was pretty disappointing despite the fact that they were missing Luca. Yeah, and I remember there being a lot of griping about the fouls in this game, and that was that was really something. But that's you know I don't want to do game by game because it's pretty nuts. But this <laughs> yeah. this was one of those where there was like two camps of people where people thinking that had the Mavericks won this game they could have just like swept the Jazz, and then yeah. there's there's us who were like ah, but but then there's the game two Supernova where Jalen Brunson played. Perhaps his finest game as a Dallas Maverick player is that is that crazy? I think so. I mean, it was his career high in points. I don't think he's ever had a forty point game otherwise. I mean, the list of players who've had forty point games in the playoffs in the Mavericks uniform. I remember it's like he shot fifteen of twenty five from the floor, <laughs> went six of ten from three. Like that was his big three point game. Got to the line seven times. He was just magnificent. And the crazy part is when you go look at it, it's like the Mavericks needed every single point from him. Every single mm-hmm. point yeah I mean, it, it was remarkable it was that was the game where we were like starting to think okay are the like are the like are the jazz like what's wrong with the jazz i mean it was obvious you know it was great to see the mavericks win but i think that was the game and then especially that got doubled down in game three where i think the mavericks were poking holes in the jazz and it kind of started a little bit in game one 
Um, but it kind of really fully solidified there in game two. And yeah, that's, I mean, the crazy part is he had 41 points. I mean, he basically had the, I mean, his, I don't know what his usage rate was, but it was huge. And he had zero turnovers. Um, I mean, he had uh, four turnovers total in the entire Utah series, Brunson did, uh, which is maybe one of the crazier stats I've ever seen. Um, he averaged 0.7 turnovers per game while playing 38 minutes a game in a six-game playoff series uh, as a lead point guard. That's that's bananas. Uh, that's one of the crazier things I've I've seen. You know, a 40-point game with zero turnovers is just is pretty rare in the playoffs. And yeah, and then they came back out in Game Three and really, really punched mm-hmm. just because Lucas sat that game too. Yep. And Brunson once again. So over a two game stretch, this <laughs> is crazy to think about over a two game stretch. Brunson went, he was 15 to 25. So he went 27 of 47 over a two game stretch. <laughs> 72 points and one turnover. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and you're looking at the box, and Spencer Dimwitty was once again terrible. He was six of twenty-one from the floor. He had twenty points because he got to the line a lot. And it's like you're look. This is where it starts to become obvious that the Mavs minutes are are hysterical because this was the game. This was the game where they got the big Bertans game and the big Josh like the only Josh Green game. The yep. la- and maybe the last Josh Green games. Josh Green had <laughs> 12 points, three rebounds, six assists, like two steals, like did a little bit of everything. It was like the Josh Green game that people want him to have more than once in a blue moon. Yeah, I mean, he had – he scored nine points the rest of the playoffs. So uh, that just goes to show uh, what an outlier that game was. Yeah, that game was crazy. Um, the thing that I'll remember about that game – uh, I know you. You know we're not trying to do game by game, but the the game three in Utah. The thing I'll always remember about that game, you know, like I think even years from now, is that me and you have been doing this for a very long time, and I think you have retained more of your fandom than I have. Maybe because I've been a little bit too much on the journalistic side of things, and you kind of have to leave that stuff at the door when you're going right. to games and you're covering stuff. That's and why I don't goes, go to games. I hope yeah. everyone knows this. Yeah. Like I would lose my mind in the press box. <laughs> yeah. So you know, over the ten years I've been doing this, that that part of my brain is has slowly kind of eroded, but it kind of woke up in that game three. Like that was a game where I was watching at home, and I was I was getting up and I was clapping and I was yelling. I don't know why. I think it was, you know, the fact that they didn't have Luca. They were on the road. That Royce O'Neal cheap shot against Brunson in the first half, I think, really got to me um, because it was so blatant, you know, after watching what Brunson was doing. And then the fact that he was able to uh, come back in the game and bury them. And this was like the series was over after this. I know that they played three more games after this, but no one, you could have pulled a million people and, and 99.9% of them would have said, oh, yeah, this series is over. Like that, they crushed the Jazz's will in this mm-hmm. game, much like how the Warriors did it, I think, to the Mavs in that game two. The Mavs absolutely did it in this game three. And I, I really don't think the series was, was, ever, was ever in doubt after that game. It was an impressive performance. Which is fun because it's you you move on to game four where the Mavericks lost. It was Luca's first game yeah. back where he played. one of the worst 30 point 10 rebound games you're ever going to (laughs) see um where he came down and was the man in the final minute of the game where he looked awful it's hard to explain how bad he looked in this game where it just like 
they, they weren't attacking Donovan. They stopped doing all the stuff where they had gotten yeah. to, like crushing the Jazz. They just went away from it because like I don't know, Luca does what he does. And then in the in the fourth quarter down the stretch, I'm looking at the game logs. I remembered this, but I wanted to make sure. Like the Mavericks take take the lead on this um, crazy. It's a it's a Luka Doncic um, like runner with about a minute thirteen, and then with forty seconds left, he drills a step back jumper, put them up four points with forty seconds left. The Mavericks lost. Yep. <laughs> and the Mavericks so lost missed because, a couple of free throws. Everyone lost their mind. I mean, yes, where Powell's been incredible, and 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 Luka played really bad defense. <laughs> <laughs> and they lose on a on a last second oop to to um Rudy Gobert, which tied the series. And I remember you in the post. You were like, "The Mavericks are fine. Like, what are we? What are we doing? Like, and and then of yeah. course, you know, just to to go ahead and fast forward, like Game Five, the Mavericks back in Dallas detonated on the Jazz, beat them by twenty five, and yep. then the the return to to Utah in Game Six. I did not remember this. I I misspoke on a podcast at one point. I did not remember Game Six being as grindy as it was, and it was a a slugfest. Yeah, the last man. I want to say like the last five minutes of that game were just like it was awful. Yeah, some of the most disjointed basketball you'll ever see. It, and I think the Mavericks went into the fourth quarter with a decent lead. Uh, I can't remember. I mean, I don't know if it was a double-digit lead, but, I mean, I think they had kind of wrestled control of the game. They were up by five. Yeah. yeah, and the fourth was just – there were moments in the final minutes where it just kind of felt like, okay, let's just – can the clock run out? Like, it just felt like – I mean, that, Boyan Bogdanovich missed a wide-open yeah. three-point jumper, and yep, that would have won, won the game, and it would have been a game seven situation yep. against the Jazz. And – it's just what 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 talking about this series, you know, I'm glad we're doing this because there are a couple of moments that where basketball, you know, one thing goes differently and the whole series is different. The Mavericks don't win game two because Brunson doesn't score 41 points. Instead, he only scores 36. Right. And in the Mavericks are down 0-2 and they need to rush Luka back. And and it's, it's it, was, it was wild. I mean, this series, it ended the Jazz's um, – basically ended what what the jazz has been trying to do for several years but it's really crazy how a couple of things different and and maybe we're talking about the Mavericks Mavericks in a completely different light yeah uh that's about as wide open as I think I've seen a guy <laughs> game winner in a playoff game before oh, uh, man that was yeah that was pretty crazy um, it, it was all because of a screw up because Spencer Denway yeah. is remarkably bad at defense but that's yeah. that is what it is but they got they, they advanced first playoff win in 11 years. Well, and then we're on to a few days later to the semifinals against the Phoenix Suns, and the Mavericks had lost. I want to say eleven, at least nine games. It was it was an yeah, uncomfortable. Nine, they had lost nine straight entering that series. Yeah, to, to the Sun, and then they lost two more to make it eleven. And yeah. in those and none of those games, games were close. Well, I mean, in the first two games, this is just like I'm looking at this. Lucas scored eighty points, dish or grabbed seventeen rebounds, and dished out fifteen assists, and they lost both games. And Lost both games uncomfortably badly. Like the first game is, is only a seven point loss, but the Mavericks are down by twenty points. Yeah, they only they, they outscored. They went thirty five twenty five in the fourth quarter to yeah. make it look more of a game, but they were never they were never in that game. It was. I never, mean, this was, was this was truly like truly nuts. To mm-hmm. where I think this was around the time I'm pretty sure of this because Mother's Day was the next weekend where my wife started really sending me dog stuff and I just sort of slow and I was like okay let's get a dog 
You know, I was just <laughs> like, I'm the season's over. gonna be over. Season's gonna be, you know, Mother's Day, blah, blah, blah. And you, know, you come back around and and again, it's like we could dip into this, but the, the simple like what I learned from this series is I'd know nothing. Is, is kind of what I learned from this because you go back into game three and the Mavericks had a, a high point game from Brunson that the it was like the the roles like the two teams switched places and the Mavericks just beat the pants out of um Phoenix in game three and then in game four was the weird Mother's Day game where there was the incident with the fan and Chris Paul played probably one of the worst games he's ever played. Only no one talked about it because mm-hmm. of, and it, all of a sudden Mavericks are up or, or tied two, two. And it's like, well, what, what is happening? And you, you know, you go right back into Phoenix in game five where the Mavericks lost by 30 points. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I remember being like, not despondent, but just being like, well, it was really cool to get two games on the Suns. Really cool. <laughs> really, really cool. And then, of course, over the next two games, I'm trying to I need to do some quick math because I'm, I'm really bad at this. 13 um, minus, crap, 113 minus 86. 27. So over the next two games, the Dallas Mavericks outscored the Suns by 60 points. <laughs> yeah, in game six and seven, <laughs> the two most high leverage games you can have in a seven-game series. Game six and seven after you've lost a two-two game five, so you're trade, you know, two straight elimination games basically, and they seem to win game five like win like seventy-five percent of the time. Yeah, and it's not, it's, and, and the Mavericks didn't just like get a squeak, you know, it's not like they squeak through game six and seven and they got like a buzzer beater or they had like a crazy, you know, ref game or someone fouled out or they had just a weird or Phoenix had like a crazy you know uncharacteristic shooting slump i mean they did shoot pretty poorly in those two games but i mean i can't remember a team down three two winning game six and seven by the margins that they did especially the game seven on the road i remember the mavericks won a game seven against the rockets in 2005 by 40 points but they were at home and they were better than that rockets team so to be an underdog game seven on the road and to win like that was that was crazy. I have never seen anything like that. And it, I mean, it's, those... it's worth addressing because I just did this on a podcast, the, the 10 minute one I do. Last week, there was a report that came out that nobody's really talking about this because it's all off the record. And, you know, when, when something's off the record, it either becomes a bombshell or it comes and goes. And there was record of one Suns player having COVID in game seven and multiple Suns staffers testing positive only it never got reported before the game. So it's like, why one of these things? And to be honest, I, I I've said this, like I've heard stuff as, as recently as, as after the, the game five loss, uh, I'm sorry that after, after game five where the Suns won that like Chris Paul might've had COVID. Like I heard some weird stuff. Now we're never going to know. It doesn't really matter. And and when I say it doesn't really matter at this point in where COVID is in the trajectory of things, I think of COVID the same way I think of an ankle sprain or something else in the sense of it, it's part of life in the NBA. So I know they still have all these protocols and stuff about it, but I think some Mavs fans are really bothered by the notion that, oh, it takes away from the Mavs victory. No, it doesn't. The Mavs still won these games. You don't win games by 60 points. It, it, 
You know, <laughs> it, it, the Mavs beat the crap out of the Suns. And and I don't know. Am I am I overthinking that? No, no, you don't. I mean, each of the four wins in this series they had were convincing. I mean, three of the four were double digits. Two of the four were by 25 or more. And then the one that, that wasn't double digits, it was by nine. And they were basically led the entire game from like the first quarter to the final buzzer. So, I mean, like I said, none of those games were flukes where you could like look back and like the game was decided on like a possession, oh, like a crazy possession or two. Like they were just, they thoroughly dominated them. And yeah, I think another part of, part of it too is like, yeah, it doesn't take anything away from the Mavs, but like to beat a team that's, you know, like Phoenix back-to-back games, game six and seven, by that, like they embarrassed the Suns in those yes. final two games. And, you know, this isn't taking anything away from the Mavs, but it takes two to tango. And yes. like the other team melt, melts down, contributes to the lop. It doesn't mean that's the reason you won, but it contributes to the lopsidedness of the score. Um, yeah. and I mean, I Avery think- Johnson's inability to cope in 2007 is arguably a meltdown. Yeah. But nobody talks about that. It's the we believes, you know, and that's how it ought to be in my, and I think the further we get away from this, particularly with, the fact that the Mavericks found something with their super small ball to yeah. a, to an extent is is what I'm going to take away from this this series. Um, I just want to ask: Did we have any complaints in this about sort of the Mavericks' tactical approaches to stuff? Because because what you know, I'm I, thinking about the Jazz series, where like Luca just stopped attacking mismatches. Yeah, that happened a little bit in Game Four, but I think they got better better at it in Games Five and Six. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, I mean, that was the thing. I came away most impressed with after those first two series was just the Mavericks preparedness and their, their tactical awareness and their, their strategy. I mean, you know, they took Utah, a team that led the league in three point rate, and they were basically one of the lowest three point shooting teams in the playoffs. Um, the way that they were able to take away team strengths and still kind of cope and not give a, give it up totally on the other end of the floor or, or give up some other part of the floor. It was pretty impressive. Like, you know, the way that they were closing out to jazz shooters, you're like, okay, well they might get bit, uh, you know, they're closing out so hard and aggressive. Mm-hmm. They might get bit at the rim and they might give up some paint points. And like that happened, but they were consistently like running shooters off the line, getting help and forcing the, you know, awkward 12, 10 to 12 footers and weird paint attempts and mid range shots. And, like the way that they just were, they kind of knew what they had to do to win those games against Utah. And then against Phoenix, you know, a team that likes to play the mid range. And it's like, okay, well, you just, you just tried to force a team into the mid range. What do you do against a team that likes to be in the mid range? And the way that they were still able to kind of stick to their guns after that game two loss, I thought that was really impressive. And the way that they switched things up and they're like, okay, you know, let's, let's pick up Chris Paul with Reggie Bullock three quarters court and, and let's yep. make him earn it. And, you know, let's get, you know, you know, Devin Booker, let's, we trust Finney Smith on Booker, you know, let's not worry about necessarily, you know, Deandre Ayton, what he can do. You know, I don't think they panicked after Ayton had that massive game one. And then Ayton kind of didn't really do much after that. Uh, like, I, I don't know. It was just really, and then on the other side of the floor, I mean, they just played, you know, it was like, Hey, we've got, one gear and it's drive and kick, make three pointers. And 
throughout the entire playoffs. I know a lot of people were screaming, like, why don't they get more shots in the paint? All this, yada, yada. And it's like, you know how they're built. Yeah, guys, this is the roster. And they're going to, they've built it to play a certain way and they're going to play it. And it's going to come down to making or missing threes. And to the Mavericks role players' credit for the first, what, eight, you know, seven, 13 games of the playoffs. So those first two rounds, they, those role players were making the shots and, you can, I can't deny anything about the way they went about it strategically. Like even when we get into the Golden State series, you know they never made a starting lineup change, which is pretty crazy considering yeah. you know and, and arguably the wrong move in hindsight. Yeah, there's just I just don't know what else they could have done. Sure. Uh, you know I think everyone really, you know I think Dwight Powell has probably worn out his welcome in Dallas, and even as probably one of the remaining guys on Dwight Powell. He's a great Island. regular season center. He's just not yeah. the guy that, that when yeah. the matchups become evident and I think let's just move right into golden state. Like, you know, the Mavericks lost this series four to one. They only won one game. They really should have won game two, Yep. but there were, there were elements of this series from the get go really starting. And it really started at the, the top of the third quarter in game one, where I would like to know what Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks were thinking in their attack approach because they went at Looney so hard in those first two games. And it was a terrible strategic approach. It did not work. They did, you know, Xavier Santos wrote a really good piece for us that Jordan Poole is going to decide the series. And he wrote that the Mavericks should attack Poole relentlessly. Well, that's what Boston's done in the NBA finals. Um, and the Mavericks should have done the same thing, and they just didn't. They didn't until it was way too late. And I'm really curious, like, like we had been, you know, Matt Moore talked about this with me. He's like, I really think it's interesting when Luca picks out probably like the team's best defender and decides he's going to break that person. I mean, he did it to Giannis in a game. He did it to Mikhail Bridges, who was an all like like all uh, defense guy. Yep. And against against the Warriors, he just sort of decided where. I'm curious if it was him or a coaching decision because, like, he went at Looney hard and it never worked. Yeah, it didn't work too great. But again, I don't know. The Mavericks got good shots uh, in that in this series. I mean, I don't, I don't know if offensive execution to me was the reason they lost. You know, they they still got up a good amount of good open three pointers. I mean, game two, they they shot the hell out of the ball and they just kind of collapsed defensively. And then I feel like, you know, the game three loss and the game five loss and the game one loss, I mean, they just, I mean, what, they were like 30, like under 30% from three. They ran, I mean, that was, I mean, this was like, like, I'm glad you brought this up because had the Mavericks been, been the three seed or what was it? Cause like, let's say they had played the Warriors in round two is, is kind of where my head was. I'd be curious to see what, you know, you play out the results of this again, what would have happened because the Warriors found themselves against the Mavericks in the way that they didn't until late against the Grizzlies. And they came in, they were playing great basketball at the right time. And there was a moment in game one where Dorian Finney-Smith got blocked in the corner by two Golden State Warriors that effectively took Dorian out of offensive basketball for like two and a half games. Like someone had to remind him to dribble. Um, but I, I, I know what you mean. Cause there were a yeah. lot of really good shots that just didn't go. I just sort of wonder because they came out, they they had they really got blown off the floor. Like third quarters are, are the Warriors, like that's what they do. So and they've been doing it against Boston too. So it's like it's making me feel a little better about the process where it's just like okay, they the Mavericks played a team that was a better, deeper team that also was playing unbelievable basketball at the ideal time. 
Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, I think it also, you know, defensively it exposed some weaknesses. Obviously, you know, the Mavericks played two teams that really were high volume pick and roll on, you know, ball handler, ball screens and Golden State. Like there's just it's tough because they, they, they were so focused on that kind of offensive attack that, you know, Golden State is kind of a one of one team in terms of the way they really play. hard to defend. Yeah. And when you have a – like, there's no – and it's because there's no guy like Steph that's so good. Like, there are players that are good off ball, but there's no, like, you know, they're role players. Like, like MVP players don't play off ball the way Steph does. Like, it's just – that's just usually not how it, how it works. Like, he's – the way – the willingness of him to give up the ball, his cardio to hold up running around the court like he does an entire game, and then always still be able to do, like, the MVP stuff where he's got, a, you know, a usage and he's got the – you know, he does decide to take over on a possession. Like, that's just – you know, there's no other superstar like that. Um, he doesn't fit the archetype of, like – you know, LeBron, Durant, you know, Giannis, these big wings that, that control the ball and attack and go downhill. Like, I mean, he's just he's just such a unique superstar. And I just think the Mavericks, you know, they struggled a little bit with that. It was a lot of off-ball stuff. You know, that means, you know, you've got your two defensive aces and Finney Smith and Bullock, and they're able to cover a lot of awards in the previous series with the way those teams played. But when you're playing Golden State and, you know, four or five of the guys are in motion so much, that means you're all five of your defenders are going to get tested. And there were just, there wasn't a lot of hiding spots. And especially when Andrew Wiggins plays well, you know, they, Luca didn't have anywhere to hide, you know, like, you know, the, the Utah series, he could play against Royce O'Neal Phoenix. He could play against Mikhail Bridges or Jake Crowder. I mean, Golden State, you know, that's kind of been, I think the takeaway from this playoffs, when you look at Golden State and you look at Boston, the two last teams, they just, they just seem to always have lineups with four or five guys that can just do stuff. Not necessarily yeah. like four or five all-stars. Like it's just, you know, Marcus Smart is not an all-star, but he's competent. If you give him the ball, he can dribble like he can dribble and drive and attack and drive and dish. And, you know, like Jordan Poole and Clay Thompson. I mean, Jeremy they have Poole. two rookies that haven't seen any time in the finals that would would get 15 yeah. to 20 minutes a game with the Mavericks. Right. It's yeah, just it's a, a deep de- team. Yeah, deep team for sure. And it's just it kind of shows I think these two Golden State and Boston are kind of showing that, you know, the 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 one superstar hub and then just fill in with a bunch of guys that are hyper specific role. You know, it looks good it, when it's working, it looks good. But I think these maybe I wonder if Golden State and Boston are kind of shaking up because I mean it's a copycat league. Like when yep. a team does well everyone kind of shifts when lebron left for miami that started the superstar you know parade when golden state started to rise all these teams started looking for, you know how much how can we get more shooting on the floor you know the, these kind of trends you know teams like to follow and i wonder if watching this it's going to be okay you know maybe instead of killing our our roster by acquiring like one or two high usage all-star all nba type guys what if we just had like one of those guys or two of those guys, but then, you know, we spread that out, spread out our cap and our, our resources so that our roster is more even because it feels like in the playoffs, there's just nowhere to hide. Like there's nowhere to hide. Like the yeah. defenses are too good. Like the, yep. the scouting is too good. The coaching is too good. Like, you know, Bullock and Finney Smith, the Golden State basically forced them to make plays off the dribble. And those guys just don't do that. And and I think that those flaws got exposed, you know, real harshly against Golden State. Well, and and there are some lessons that we learned from this playoff run. 
that mm -hmm. I think were pretty instructive to the team building moving forward. I'm glad that it happened, even if the Mavericks, because it's like I keep saying this, like the Mavericks being a Western Conference Finals team next year is unlikely, not because I think they're bad, but because finishing as a top four team is difficult. Mm -hmm. But you learn a lot in team building lessons. And so I got my my one buddy, his name's Jose. He hosts 77 Spaces with uh, with Joss, and and they do a real fun job and and um, up out on Twitter. And I, every time I talk with them, one of the things that drives Jose crazy is that the Mavericks get crushed on the boards. And I've said to him, I said, I don't, I don't think the Mavericks care about rebounding, but where I'm going with that is that, you know, one, one of the things you, you kind of took away from this and then we're, our whole site kind of agrees on this. Now it doesn't mean we're correct. It's just our site really agrees as a whole, the big man, the center, the high paid big section of your cap center. I don't think that's a thing anymore and it, it, i'm really curious to see where the mavericks go to address it this offseason because they do need a different center they mm -hmm. do need a different but it's like different does not necessarily mean more expensive so right they go through the draft do they find somebody in free agency with their very limited means i, I you just said something right after season where it's just like look at what we did with Reggie and Dorian Finney-Smith, what happens if you, you know, the, the follow-up to that was like, what happens if you have one more guy in that rotation capable of playing 20 minutes? What what do the Mavericks do? Right. It looks completely different, I would say. Yeah. Um, and you think about, you know, you just, I just don't understand. You just got through Gobert and you just got through DeAndre Ayton and you got killed by Kevon Looney. Why is your deduction from, from that let's get a go bear or let's trade for a go bear. Let's money whip an eight and sign and trade. Like let's sign one of these centers to a big money contract. And I'm just like, I just don't get it. Like you look at, I mean, what was Robert Williams? Was Robert Williams of the Celtics? Was he even a lottery pick? I don't, I can't uh, he might've been, might've been later first round, but he it's, was it's like 27th overall pick in 2018. Like, I mean, Mitchell Robinson was a second round pick. I mean, yeah. Looney himself was a late first rounder. Like, I, I, it's not to say that big men aren't important. It's just you can you can fill the gaps without using you know your pristine resources. You yes. could do it without getting you know spending twenty million dollars a year. You can do it without spending a top ten draft pick. Like the Mavericks have the twenty six overall pick. You know they, sh I would I would be over the moon if they tried to get a center upgrade with that pick. Cause that's what you do with that range of a draft pick. I think uh, it's been proven over like the last five years, you can get a, you can find a serviceable big man. I think in that range, if you're, if your scouting department's good enough and you're committed to it. So um, that's kind of what I see. It's like, every time I say this, you know, some people are like, Oh, so you just want Dwight Powell and Maxi out no, there I, again. I'm like, no, I just, you could do it without. I mean, we were crushing the them in the start of the season. They had six centers to start the regular season. They <laughs> cut two of them and then they signed a third one. It's like, Really, what they need to do is 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 select the right person. Yeah, just it, get better. It's do a, like get better players, but get better does not necessarily mean more expensive. It's like right. big men are the are the most available of like players. Like just you know, wings are the most coveted. Guards are probably like guards and centers are a distant second and third compared to wings. And it's just it's it's just the way it goes right now. And I, I think that's how the Mavericks build moving forward. I'm gonna be really curious to see what they do because if I'm a big guy looking to rebuild some value, playing with Luca is a smart way to do that. <laughs> For sure. Uh I mean you look at Collie Lily Collie Stein had an opportunity that he probably mm -hmm. 
didn't necessarily deserve. And I mean, he had some moments where Luca made him look like a million bucks for sure. Right. So why not? Well, you know, we could probably ramble a few more minutes. Yeah, we I'm hungry. Yeah, um, go eat. <laughs> this has been this has been good. I'm gonna try to have Bobby on. Uh, I hope just to talk with he said because you know Bobby's been doing this for a million years too, and this is a real fun. It was a fun postseason. I had a really good time. Um, we worked really hard, but you know, <laughs> it's that's kind of the point. Like every I tell everybody who's interested in doing this, where it's like, hey, you know, you can't just decide you want to work in the playoffs. You you it's just like team building with everything else. You know, you put together the patience to do it in the regular season and then you know you you explode through and you know i've i've we're probably going to bring on some new staffers in the coming weeks and months just to see what what else is out there in the world but you know it's, it's we have a really fun team Mavs moneyball guys cranking out some interesting content right now we'll have draft profiles and stuff the next several i guess only two weeks because the draft is in 11 days um and then you know free agency lucas over overseas stuff seven so it's like there's gonna be enough for us to talk about to where you and i will still get together at least weekly to talk about something so. for sure we'll we'll be good we'll keep it going all right guys this has been fun josh bow kirk henderson thanks so much for your time uh and we will talk to you soon